Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. I realize it's been a little while since we've put out an off script episode, but that's because we've been saving up a new series on stewardship. Today we begin by discussing the biblical mindset towards stewarding the earth. Future episodes will address stewarding our bodies and finances. In this show, we begin with creation theology and move to consider how God injected covenantal significance into how Israelites were to think about their land. Lastly, we'll look at how believing in the renewal of our earth in the age to come should affect us now. We also overcome several typical Christian objections to creation care while trying to avoid any legalism. Here now is Oscar 30, Stewarding the Earth. Today we're talking about stewarding the earth, a very important subject that touches all of our lives, considering we all live on the earth currently. <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this, maybe you're listening to this on Mars. Uh, hello. Anyhow. <laughs> what, what's it like up there? <laughs> um, so what we want to do is talk about, from a Christian perspective, what, how should we be treating the world we live in? And... To what degree should we be concerned about the environment, and what is the biblical basis for that, as well as arguments against any kind of creation care. So to start out, let's begin in the beginning with Genesis, where we read that God created the world, and he called it good over and over and over, in fact, six times, and then the seventh time he said it was very good. And when he makes the first people, he puts us on earth in the midst of paradise, the Garden of Eden, and he says to us, they should have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this is pre-fall. God's original intention for humans is to rule over the earth. And later on in Genesis, um, not too far along further, in Genesis 2.15, it says, um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, this is also pre-fall, and uh, it's, it's very clear. I mean, this is the first two chapters of the Bible. It's very clear that God's plan was to have people on the earth and for them to not only work it, but to keep it. And I think the second half of that verse where, where it talks about keeping it is very important. I'm on this website called pathos.com and it says uh, the word keep is the, in some translations, is the Hebrew word shamar and it means to guard or to watch and protect. And if you take that literal meaning out of that verse, that's a proactive verb that we're talking about. You're, you're taking steps to guard and protect and keep this yeah. earth that we are charged with working. Another definition for shamar is preserve. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, too, because pre-fall at this point, um, humanity probably had so little idea of how much sway over creation and the state of creation they would actually have. All this is well and good. Keep the earth, guard the earth, tend the earth. Looking back on the fall, we see how um, how our actions and our relationship with God can have a serious effect on the creation that God has given to us. Yeah. We have the power to uh, to degrade it and, and to harm it and to cause a curse to spread upon it. But then charged with stewardship, we also have the responsibility to do our best to care for it. You know, it's fascinating. The Hebrew 
people had this really interesting way of looking at their connection to the land. Not only had God put them in charge of it to keep it, to guard it, to tend to it, but also there is this covenantal connection that develops once God gives Abraham and his descendants the land, specifically the land that became known as Israel. And in Leviticus 18, which which talks about a lot of uh, sexual misbehaviors, at the end of that chapter, it says, but as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, not to do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled. Mm. So it says the land, because of people's sexual misbehavior, the land has become defiled. And then it says, so that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. And so there is a sense in which humans and the land are very closely connected within the Bible. We see this again in Romans chapter 8, where we read in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And so it wasn't the land that sinned. It was us, people, Adam and Eve, right? And then all of us since. So because of what we did, the land itself got cursed. Mm. And it's in this state of futility and continually groaning until humans are redeemed. Because when the humans are redeemed, then the land is redeemed again. So there's this really interesting biblical connection between the uh, what we would call human morality and ecology or how the environment is. Yeah, you know? and it, that, that idea comes up also in the context of killing. In Numbers 35, uh, verse 33, it says, you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. So this whole idea, Sean, you're talking about the Israelites' connection to the land and how they viewed it, and it's a very sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like a Native American yeah. way of thinking about the land. You know, when the white man came to um, America, they had these pieces of paper, yeah, and they said, "Sign here, and we'll give you this stuff, and then we'll own the land." And the natives were like, "Own the land, piece of paper." Like, how? Right. Because the, they believe the land owned them. Right. Right. Not not that there's this is a direct comparison, but there is there is like a very different way of looking at it's very tangible. It's very yeah. the the link between the land and human behavior is is real in these cultures. Yeah. It's very different because like the way we think of it is based on resources yeah. and how we can use it ownership as an object to benefit us and our society or our, our culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the Israelite way of looking at it, the biblical way of looking at it is this is what God gave us as an inheritance. This is the allotment of our family. It's been passed down from generation to generation. Grandpa so-and-so fell in hard times and he sold it, but in the, in the year of Jubilee, it came back. Or after seven years, it came back or whatever. Who knows if they actually did any of that. But like, there, they, there's a way of looking at the land as an ancestral inheritance and a gift from God that is much different than the way we think of our land today. We look at our land today in terms of economics, and they looked at it in, in terms of, of 
almost being a part of their family, a part of their culture. It, yeah. it was an entity There's that, a history, yeah. yeah, that, that it provided for them, but there was also the covenant of, of taking care of it. But even so, the way we think of our own private land, you know, if you buy a house, you get a little piece of land with it, unless you're out in the country, and then maybe you get a whole farm with all these acres and stuff like that, is we, we do believe in stewardship of our land, but we conceive of it in a very individualistic sense. So, for example, <laughs> I have a funny story from just yesterday. My oldest son is in charge of mowing the backyard, which is my land, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, not, it's not acres, it's not even half an acre, but it's a backyard, and it's his responsibility to mow that backyard. It's Saturday, that's the allotted day for him to do that work. And he wanted to go sleep over a friend's house. And I'm like, no, you got to mow the lawn. It's your responsibility. You're in charge of the backyard. And I'm in charge of the front yard. And it was all like this. It was like this all last year. But this is the first mowing of this year. So he's not in the routine. And he was so furious. He, he, he got upset. And then he's like, all right, I got to do this. And then uh, he went and he grabbed the And I've, we've got a push mower. And... Uh, the great thing about a push mower is since it's not self-propelled, you could push it as fast as you want. <laughs> he literally ran across back and forth the whole backyard and got the job done, which is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> to what degree did he get the job yeah. done, though? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, more or less, he got it done. But okay. I mean, you see his 11-year-old running, sprinting back and forth just so he could like, get it done. But, uh, you know, we believe in caring for our land. Uh, we believe, and I, and as a parent, I very strongly believe in caring for my house and my kids caring for their rooms. Like you got to clean your room. You got to keep the house nice and that sort of thing. We, we all understand that in our culture where it gets different is when our regular routine affects some other land, like mm -hmm. the landfill mm -hmm. or the sewage plant or the water treatment plant. So, mm -hmm. so in our society, everything's so like, I don't manage my own sewage. I just flush, mm -hmm. right? you know? And uh, if you're out in the country, God bless you. You know a lot more about this stuff. But for me in the suburbs, you know, I flush, it just goes somewhere. I don't know where it goes. I don't know who does what with it. It just, it just works. And when I put my garbage out, yeah, I pay a garbage fee every month or year or whatever it is, but like, Somebody just takes it somewhere. I don't even know where it goes. <laughs> you know? But there is land, presumably in the back of your mind, you know that there is land somewhere where that goes right. and where it's yeah. processed. Yeah. So and our society is just so different. It's get segregated. Like you have your backyard, but then it's somebody's job to actually deal with, with land that is set aside for these purposes. And we don't really think about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, Unless you watch Dirty Jobs with uh, Micro, then you begin to get some <laughs> kind of an idea. Someone's got to do it. So, uh, but we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. What, what I wanted to say is this whole idea of stewardship or also creation care that, that we set up from the beginning here in Genesis 1 and what you said, Dan, from Genesis 2, is that God basically gives us the land and he says, hey, take care of the place. Mm. Rule over it. Not rule over it as a dictator who rapes and pillages it and destroys it for the next generation. I, I don't think he had to necessarily say that. He just said, rule over it. And then he says, keep it, guard it. And... This, this is the sort of like God-given command to, as far as humans, not just Israel, but humans in general in our relation to the land. Mm -hmm. So that is the basis of creation care, of stewardship. It, it doesn't make sense for us from a, 
a creation theology point of view to trash the land, to destroy the land, to ruin it so that now we can't rule over it anymore because we burned the castle, right? Yeah. So I think that's just kind of like a basic point of view on this whole thing. So that's the, the starting point of how we are to think about our related to the land from a biblical point of view, from Genesis and creation. I think of the earth as a beautiful and expensive and unique gift um, from a loving father. So if my dad were to give me um, an amazing gift, I would do my darndest to take really good care of it. I would wash, you know, whatever the gift is, I would wash it, clean it, take it in for repairs or whatever from time to time, even if it was a little inconvenient and even if it cost me money here and there um, to keep it up because it represents my father's love for me. And then my care for it represents my love for him and my respect for him and how mm. I appreciate that gift. There's also, it's such a great point, Rose. There's also another connection in which uh, the land and the animals and the plants are an expression or point to the glory of God. Yeah. So, it's his genius, it's his design that is behind all these different species that we are surrounded with, with the blue sky and the puffy white clouds and the yellow <laughs> sun. You know, that's all God's creation. So if, if we if we want to show respect to God and if we want to show consideration for, for his glory, then creation is part of that picture. And so how we treat it would follow from that. Right, and also just the miracle that is growing crops. I mean, you put a seed in the ground, you tend to it, and in six months time, you have a crop that, that you can <clears throat> use to feed your family, to feed your people, to survive, to trade, to get money. I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a, and it's a renewable, I mean, as long as you're, you're not farming the same land with the same crop over and over and over again, I mean, it's a renewable thing. The way that God designed it, it's a, it's a beautiful system understanding that and articulating that in your own mind is is i think part of stewardship and part of appreciating how you can literally put something in the ground and you and it will yield and uh, that's what god told adam and eve in, in 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 the garden that they were supposed to do so let's take a look at some counter arguments against creation care against stewarding the environment uh, I, I think there are really three main from, I'm, again, I'm speaking as a Christian. So with, within my worldview lines that people take on this, one is what I call evacuationism. The other is it's all going to burn. And the third is it's just too expensive to care for things responsibly. So let's just take those one after another. The first one is uh, evacuationism is the idea. It's not even a real English word, but I, I just love it. Um, it's, it's the belief that you're going to evacuate the planet. You're going to go off world at death. So the moment you die, you're no longer on Terra Nova. You're an immortal soul existing in some sort of spiritual reality. Uh, it's a very platonic old school Greek immortal soul idea. It's not, it's not biblical. It's not native to the Hebrew soil of scripture. However, what we do find in the Bible instead is this idea that Jesus articulated repeatedly, but also the prophets blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Not that I want to go on and on about this, but let me just read out this one quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote, leave heaven to them says the world in its pity. That's where they belong. But Jesus says they shall inherit the earth. 
To these, the powerless and the disenfranchised, the very earth belongs. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the new earth. We must not interpret this as a reference to God's exercise of juridical punishment within the world, as Calvin did. What it means is that when the kingdom of heaven descends, the face of the earth will be renewed, and it will belong to the flock of Jesus. God does not forsake the earth. He made it, he sent his son to it, and on it he built his church. Just love that. Mm. <laughs> I just love that quote from Bonhoeffer because it, it just so emphasizes that earth is our home. Look, we were born on earth. We're probably unless you're an astronaut and something goes wrong we're gonna die on earth and in the end when jesus comes back he's coming back to earth to resurrect us to live on the earth and so this is the the setting of all the drama here uh, what do you call that evacuationism yeah evacuationism okay uh so i'm from a baptist background and just totally believed in evacuationism for most of my life but even uh while believing that i never would have viewed that as a justification for polluting the environment or not caring for the environment because number one it's still a precious gift from god and number two you have no idea once said evacuation might occur and uh at whatever rate you're trashing the earth you're kind of counting on the fact people will be raptured away to heaven before you have completely uh, you know destroyed the earth or made it uninhabitable uninhabitable or made it um a very not very nice place to live even believing that that was no justification at all for you know dominating the earth in a sort of um in a way that takes advantage of it but believing in the kingdom and believing in the restoration and the making new of all things, um, that just gives you so much joy instead of just kind of feeling like you're on a slowly sinking ship and you're slowly bailing it out. That gives you great joy um, that there, this is a prize and it will be a prize throughout eternity when God makes it new. I think with this idea of evacuationism, it's more of sort of a background thing where it enables you to be lazy, right? Like, so because we're going to have a new heaven and new earth, we don't have to take care of this one. It's not, I don't think people use it as justification. Oh, okay. Let me, you know, strip mine entire County and, and because it's all going to be new anyway, it's more of like a, it's more of like a salve to people's natural laziness when it comes to taking care of the, of the environment. And that's certainly how I'm sure that I've thought about it in the past where it's like, Oh, you know, I can throw this wrapper out my window because you know, whatever, it's all going to burn anyway. Well, but, let's let's bring in that second one. It's all going to burn anyway. Okay. So that's from Second Peter. Second Peter three, and that's where it talks about this fire. And well, the the question in that section is, everything's going on as it has from the beginning. It's all going to keep going on. Where when's he ever coming back? He's not coming back. That's kind of like the objection that Peter's handling here, and his comparison is to the flood of Noah. The way we talk about the flood of Noah, we say it destroyed the earth. Okay, but it didn't destroy the planet. Right. You know what I mean? So like water covered the earth, people died, animals died, a lot of plants probably died, but then it's not like God miraculously fashioned, transformed matter, I don't think. You know, like it's still the same place. He did save the animals, and then I don't know how the plants grew back. I guess maybe that was miraculous, whatever. But like my point is, it's still this, the same planet. So presumably if there was a Snickers wrapper somewhere on the planet before the flood, that wrapper would still be somewhere right. on planet after <laughs> yeah. the flood. Or that diaper. <laughs> or that diaper, right? So uh, the comparison in Second Peter is to a fire that is going to destroy the earth. Now that fire, if we look at the water, the water is a purging of sin 
and a purging of humans, really, because uh, we are the moral agents. And so you have that fire coming, and it's, it's, there are varying points of view, and I'm not even sure exactly where I fall as far as like when the fire occurs, whether it's like right away when Jesus comes, thousand years after, or when to fit that in, or how, how literally we should take that or not. But I, I think it's important to recognize that we're not talking about like the Star Wars, the yeah. Death Star that can destroy a whole planet idea. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here with this fire. What we're talking about this fire is something that's going to cleanse, it's going to purge, and however God protects people and maybe even animals from that is not clear. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm sure he's got a plan if there's going to be a big fire. But even if, just like Rose said with the evacuation idea, even if that fire is going to be worldwide and is going to completely like turn the earth into lava. Even if that, if we're going to go with a, that would be a very strong literal global reading. Even if we go with that, we still don't know if that's going to happen a thousand years down the line or a hundred years right. down the line or in the 20 teens, you know, we, we don't know. So as a result of that, we would still have the creation care mandate of Genesis and contributing to destroying the earth or something, or just doing stuff that is, that is going to mess up the environment and make it so animals die and plants die and humans die. Still would it fit with a Christian biblical creation mindset? Yeah. Besides on second Peter three, there's plenty of ambiguity as far as what exactly, for example, second Peter three ten means the nasb says but the day of the lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up that makes it sound like the earth is going to be destroyed whereas the esv says the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed that's totally different the net new english translation says but the day of the lord will come like a thief when it comes the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. So this could be very similar to what we read in Isaiah and Revelation and other places where you have these cosmic signs, but and then everything is exposed on earth, not necessarily destroyed. But once again, whichever way you want to go with it, because also you have verse 12, because the, de the heavens will be burned up and dissolved, the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. Whichever way you want to look at it, the biblical point of view is... Not that the Earth will be completely destroyed like the Death Star from Star Wars, mm -hmm. but that whatever happens here, it is going to be renewed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when it says a new heavens and a new Earth, it's the old Earth made new. It's not a new planet that we're then transported to, like in a sci-fi movie. So let's move on to number three, objection against creation care, which is it's just too expensive, it's impractical, we can't do things another way or else... It would crash our economy. And I feel like there is a lot of legitimacy to that point of view because, let's face it, recycling is expensive and selling products without packaging is very difficult for retailers because then you end up with a lot of, a lot more theft. A lot of reason for putting things in big packages is to prevent people from stealing it, slipping it in their coat or whatever. So, you know, I, I want to recognize there's another side to this, but I wonder, like, is there some sort of balance we can strike here? Mm. There's whole debates about cap and trade and other large macro issues. So there's tons of political um, issues 
um, about this and international issues. Um, there's a very large macro scene with all of this, and we don't want to get into that, and we don't want to get political with all of this, although it is um, sort of a politically charged issue. Uh, I do want to talk about, though, being individually responsible. Mm. This is uh, it's an issue between you and your God, and I understand that your finances play into it, um, but if you are wondering what God wants from you in regards to this, this is probably something that we haven't really done and probably a lot of people haven't. You can ask him, what would you have me do? How would you have me steward your earth? And it might be inconvenient and it might be a little bit more expensive and you do have to also exercise good stewardship of your finances. God probably doesn't expect you to be 100% perfect, but he does expect you to find the balance that is pleasing um, in his sight. If you're wondering about this, I would ask him. You can talk to other um, believers as well. People will have... A variety of positions um, on all of this, but I do believe how you treat um, the earth is an expression of your relationship with and your love for God. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard to figure it all out, honestly, because you have such a range of lifestyles. Mm -hmm. You have you have like legit self-sustainable people, like your brother, tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your brother uh, would totally love that. But like, yeah, you have these you have these guys that just want to be off grid and they don't want to generate garbage they, they would just compost everything and grow their own stuff and use solar and wind and water and you know god bless these guys you know if that's if that's what they what they want to do then then whatever but uh then you you have on the other side where it's like i went to this one conference in boston about creation care some years ago and there was this uh couple and they were in a sense bragging about how <laughs> they don't use their heat in their apartment at all in the winter and of course, like me living in a house, like if I don't turn my heat on, we all die. Yeah, because <laughs> this is how state. Or your York. pipes will freeze. And or, right, my pipes will freeze, and I'll die with frozen pipes. <laughs> but uh, the reason why this couple was able to live without heat is because the apartment below them, the apartment to the right. left, the apartment to the right, the apartment <laughs> above, all are using their heat and probably using it more because there's a cold spot in the middle. Yeah. So. That's so so, you know, sometimes you can trick yourself into thinking, oh, you're so with it. But in reality, other people are just picking up your slack. Right. right. Herd immunity. <laughs> so, I mean, I think you have to, you have to, each person's got to figure this out for themselves. But I think there is, should be a general heart posture of the Christian mm. as far as being pro-earth and have a, uh, like a real ownership mindset. Like God gave this to us people. I'm a person. Therefore... I have a, a, a part of the responsibility of taking care of the place. And each person's got to figure that out. I feel like there are, within Christianity, I feel like there is a lot of negativity towards the E word, anything related to the environment, environmentalism, ecology. It's like, oh, there, there's just a bunch of leftist fringe wackos that are trying to like, trying to make it hard for businesses by putting all these laws on them. And and hey, that that is part of it. You know, you're not allowed to pollute the river. Yes, you would save a lot of money if you could pollute the river. Yeah. And now you have to figure out another way to deal with your waste. And now GE's paying for that. <laughs> right. But now but so so you know, I feel like there is this like streak within Christianity today that is super like anti-environment. But like, mm -hmm. hey, this is our book. Whatever the politics of the issue are, our book is our book, and our book says that God made the world good, he gave it to us, and that we're gonna be on the world forever, and we are the stewards, we are the caretakers. So let's find a way to do that. 
Mm-hmm. I understand um, the environmental view can often be associated with leftist agendas and stuff like that. I would encourage brothers and sisters out there, never be reactionary um, to the opposite side. If you're going to form a view, form it based on scripture, and you don't want to just react against somebody um, with whom you would disagree on the left side or wherever else, go to the scripture, form your position based on that, and mm. then react or, or, or uh, really transform your, um, your mind and your opinions to God's. Yeah, and there, there, and there are not to say that there aren't extremist left positions on this. Where you have, for example, some animal rights activists would say it's immoral to eat meat, or that all life is equally valid. You know, plant, animal, human, and we all have to live in perfect symbiosis. Well, I'm sorry, but. We eat animals and plants, you know, like, it's not... <laughs> what, you don't eat Soylent for your 100% of your dietary intake? Yeah, I mean... What are some of the practical ways that we're talking about? I mean, we, we're, we're talking about... Um, Sean has an electric car, for instance, which mm-hmm. he likes to talk about a lot. <laughs> no. uh, but we're talking about basic things. We're talking about recycling. We're talking about basically leaving our immediate environment, our immediate surroundings in better shape than we found it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think there, are, as far as practicality, there are a thousand little things. And, yeah. and they, they, do, they do have a cumulative effect because there are so many of us. You've got light bulbs, yeah. right? If LED you, if you use the old school light bulbs, they look better. Let's face it. They do. But if you use the CF, the, the fluorescent or the LED, it uses a heck of a lot less energy. And so it's like, how much of aesthetics do I want to sacrifice right. to use less energy, pollute the earth less? And you got to figure that out. Maybe use some more energy efficient ones in one place and then like in, in, the, in the dining room, still use the old school ones. I don't know. But, you know, figure that out. And then you, ha- you have composting too. Like if you have any kind of land at all, you can easily just put your vegetables and anything that's like compostable in a separate container and dump that in the backyard. And then you've got some free fertilizer for the garden. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel like there are lots of these little things. Most of us recycle these days. It's kind of like no brainer. It's so much easier than it used to be. I remember when I was a little boy, we had the blue bin, Mm. we had the green bin. You had to separate your paper and from your glass and your cans. And now I I still, we still do that where I live. Oh, you still do that. So apartment. Yeah. Anyhow, the rest of the world, Dan, has moved on to what's called single stream recycling, where you just have a huge no, bin. Man, not Schenectady. Uh, well, anyhow, so I mean, well, but either way, you know, it, it is a hassle. Let's face yeah. it; it is a hassle yeah. to recycle. It's easier to just dump everything out. Uh, but hey, it's a little effort, and it, and it does make a difference. Uh, at least sometimes when they really do recycle it, mm-hmm. um, wash your stuff instead of using disposable plates and, and forks mm-hmm. just use yeah. old school ones and wash it air conditioning air conditioning that's a tough one yeah see now that's where i would draw the line because <laughs> i will be a puddle of sweat if i don't use air conditioning it's so bad though yeah why because it uses a lot of electricity or the that freon? And just, well freon is outlawed now but um that so, was the issue back in the day but okay. yeah it just it just uses a ton of yeah, like the like the, the grid in california over the summer months like yeah. shuts down sometimes yeah. because because of the demand on the on the supply yeah i feel like with heat we have the excuse if we don't use it we die mm-hmm. right but when it comes to air conditioning, <laughs> if we yeah. don't use it we way. die fans man use fans use fans no and i'm not i'm not coming from a position I, i'm i'm sure that i'll be you, putting are my, you anti-air conditioning personally i like, would love to be anti-air conditioning but I, i'm the same i'm the i'm in the same boat you are i don't think i have the same 
so I have a small air conditioner because I'm really only air conditioning one room. Right. So it's not. I feel like holier than thou a little bit, but if, but if but if I had a house and I had people in multiple rooms, and that would be a really tough thing. And maybe I need to uh, consider this, or perhaps consider another way to power the air conditioner that isn't a burden on the grid and that doesn't pollute the world, yeah. such mm-hmm. as wind or solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to highlight, though, Sean, you mentioned it before, but the cumulative effect. I think so many we stop ourselves from doing these things because it's like. It's the same. What, what difference does it make? Right. It's the yeah. same I do with voting. Like my vote doesn't count. Mm-hmm. My, you know, if I throw this Gatorade bottle in the garbage, who cares? But I think there are so many of us. It, it is important to understand that that is part of what we're called to do in the Bible. And, and these are small things, as you said, and, and you have to, it's like a menu of things that you have. And where are you checking, checking that off? And are you thinking about these things? I certainly, before we started having these talks this past week, I didn't think so much about these things. Um, I thought about recycling and I use the LED bulbs, but that's pretty much the extent. But where in my life can I make up some of this ground a little bit? Just think about that mindset. How do you be a better steward? Uh, I think is, you know, just do a, just do a checkup. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can reduce your, you can reduce the amount of garbage that you throw out Mm -hmm. by just making some little changes here and there in, in, in this certain things that you buy, or let's say, you're here at the church, you know, like I see Rose doing this too. You know, instead of taking the disposable cup, you just use a mug or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's one less little paper cup there or a styrofoam cup. So, you know, it's, it, again, it's, I don't think here in this podcast, we want to prescribe, thus says Restitutio, right. thou shalt do these <laughs> environmentally friendly things. No, mm-hmm. I think what we're saying here is in this stewardship episode is when it comes to stewarding the earth, we should have a default that is pro-sustainability mm-hmm. in the sense that sustaining the earth for the next generation. Look, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know to what extent Second Peter 3 is a huge fire or a localized fire or prophetic language or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the question is, well, how can we be responsible, be good stewards, take care of it as, as well as we can until the next generation? And jump on board when there are innovations. I, I feel yeah. like there is going to be, you know, uh, hopefully in the next 10, 15, 20 years, an energy innovation mm-hmm. where batteries get better or power plants change in some way. Mm-hmm. And wind, wind power. Wind power. And like if, if people jump, if they see it and they have this like creation care mindset, they're more likely to jump on board, even if it costs more than the old way because right. it's, it's part of being responsible and it fits in with our general way of thinking about the world. In closing, I'd like to say two things, actually. Um, Number one is related to what Dan talked about a little bit. People, and especially unbelievers, and especially um, unbelievers of conviction, be it about the environment or be it about other things, are watching you and want to see consistency in your life. And they want to know that you live what you believe and that you don't just talk the talk, but you walk it. Being um, upright and being conscientious um, and being passionate about things like this, creation care, I think will really strengthen your testimony and show that you are putting your effort and you're putting um, maybe even your money where your mouth is and you're showing that this is important to you. And stewardship is not a word we throw around. Um, it is a big deal and it is a way, really a way of worship and um, and to love our God. Second of all, though, um, and I struggle with this myself a little bit, I would stay away from legalism the best you can. I fall into um, you know, my little way of life and I'm a little recycling fiend. 
Um, and it can be very easy um, to condemn other people or feel terrible if I realize that, oh my gosh, I just threw out that bottle and I could have recycled it and to beat yourself up over that. Stay away from legalism um, as much as you can. Do it for the joy and the love that you have for our father who has made this beautiful world for us. Um, I, I really liked your first point because when you do things like you know, stewardship, it's, it's passive testimony. It's not, you're not evangelizing based on your environmental chops or how much you care about the environment. It's people that are looking at your, uh, at your life and how you live it. And then maybe they ask you about it and it's not, it's just something that you're doing. It's not, it's not, you're not using it as a tool to spread the gospel. It's just people to your point. It's just people that see how you're, uh, how you, how you're living your life. And they ask you, why are you so keen on recycling? And it's like, well, and then that's an opening for you to talk about stewardship and to talk about these biblical principles. So well-made point. Yeah. Thanks. Colossians four says uh, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And there are so many ways to do this. Mm. It's just one of those little ones, but to maintain that consistency and that testimony. So thank you so much. As always, please join the conversation, rate us, um, give us comments, let us know what you think or uh, little ways that you care for the creation yourself. Uh, we've enjoyed speaking with you guys this week. I'm gonna say goodbye in. I'm gonna say goodbye in Esperanto this week. Adiao. You would. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you thought about this subject, stewarding the earth. We'll stay tuned for next week when we'll discuss stewarding our bodies. Uh, for now, if you'd like to leave feedback or disagree with us, even head on over to restitutio.org and find Offscript episode 30 stewarding the earth and you can leave your comment there also if this episode has blessed you and you'd like to share it with others please do so on social media so that other people can find this podcast thanks for listening and remember the truth has nothing to fear